Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. This is episode 70 and we have my friend Marnie on today. Marnie, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing good. Can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. Um, well, I am a trauma survivor of many, many difficult situations throughout my life. I am an author, a podcast host, a motivational, inspirational storyteller. My trauma is as major and as great as my storytelling. So I take my broken, I turned it into beautiful, and I just love to help people understand the journey they are on. That's awesome. So how long have you been doing your podcast and what's it called? It's called Peace Love Podcast. And I started it about two years ago. And here's a thing about loving yourself with situations. I could I look at myself and I was like, darn, I should be a lot more ahead. But I'm like, I'm proud of myself that I have 40 something episodes already. Yeah. So it's really cool. And I try to put a light way of talking about my mental health so people can relate and not be scared about it. Yeah, it's definitely uh, kind of our goal, too, is to be able to, you know, have people talk about mental health stuff and not make it so daunting and so, uh, so tough taboo. to talk about. Yeah, taboo. Exactly. Yeah, I loved, um, you know, we kind of connected on Podbooker and, um, and I loved reading about, you know, your story. And, and so I thought, man, this would be a great fit for people to hear. Um, so kind of can you talk a little bit about what are some of the, the things that uh, or, or tell your story a little bit of, of how you've gotten to where you are? Well, I did not find out. I'm 52 years old now, but when I was 47, after spending my life thinking I was crazy, lazy, and stupid, I found out that I had ADHD, OCD, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all of these things. Now it made sense. So I broke down because I was angry, but then I realized, no, I was put here for a purpose. I went through too many insane situations and I'm still alive. I'm a survivor. And I put myself back together piece by piece. I found a doctor. I went on medication that worked for me. 
And people used to look at me and think like, oh, you miss privileged life or this. And I'm like, privilege? I'm in a fetal position crying on my bathroom floor. And I said, is that how people see me? You cannot judge a book by its cover. And that's when I was like, I need to share my story. I've gone through so much trauma. I talk about mental health like the weather. And one thing after another, I started my book. I started doing Facebook videos and then the podcast. And then I just found my purpose. That's amazing. And so what's your book? It's called True to Myself, Peace, Love, Marnie. And, you know, I started out, you know, the book in 1987 because that was the most pivotal traumatic moments of my life. My mother, just to give a quick little um, synopsis, my mother had been addicted to crack. Now, 1987, there were no pay phones. There were no Ubers. It was a very difficult, different time. And she, her boyfriend ripped me out of my car. Uh, we were thrown out of our apartment, threw me on the pavement. They drove away and left with all my belongings. None of my family members wanted me. I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, but I am a statistic because I could have gone a left and gone on drugs, God forbid, or taken that road. But I just always wanted normalcy in my life. And I am here today to prove that no matter how deep or dark you get, there's a rainbow at the end. Life's not perfect, but I know how to handle it now. Yeah. Well, what what do you think is some of the outliers that kind of made you go left instead of going right? I, you know, I never had a typical childhood. I mean, I'm talking from when I was born, biological father went for cigarettes, never came back. I had three fathers by the time I was 10, moved around a lot. So all I ever craved was a suburban neighborhood, like not big dreams like New York, just I wanted a family. So I would look at people in neighborhoods or TV shows thinking, that's all I want and I'm going to get it. That's all I want. So that really, that manifestation in my brain at such a young age, not realizing I was doing that, that's all I wanted was a home in the suburbs because I, I was deprived of that my whole life, that typical upbringing. Yeah, so your goal was just as simple as just, I need a, a home in the suburbs. Yep. So it's funny, like I tell people, they don't realize how blessed they are. Like if COVID would have happened when I didn't have anywhere to live and it happened even as an adult where I didn't know where I was going to live through the situations, I don't know where I would have gone. Because you, when you have a home and people are quarantined with their family, that's so blessed that you had a family and a home. When you don't have that, like I did not have most of my life I appreciate the smallest blessings and my gratitude is over the top because of that. And that is what I preach to people. It's like, you guys just realize how much you're blessed for a roof over your head, food, water, a shower, those things when people don't have is just such a treasure. Yeah, definitely. I think during COVID for, as you stated, there was a lot of people who didn't have family that were homeless, that were disconnected. And, you know, being isolated, those people got cut out even more. And we still haven't seen the consequences um, for them, I think, in our society. Um, You know, and it's a good perspective to have, you know, being locked Mm -hmm. down um, with a family at home that you love and you feel safe with is definitely far better than um, being left out on the streets, disconnected from a family you don't have. Exactly. And it, you know, it put a huge strain on, you know, there was a lot of things that came out of COVID, some people for good, some people for worse. I, because I had never left my house for a while through my depression, 
I was like, I've been quarantining for years. So I was <laughs> able, like this, why is everybody in an uproar? I do this every day. It's not hard. I used to have my groceries delivered, left at the door so I didn't have to interact. So I was a pro. To, I mean, I was the happy bubbly one during COVID because everybody was now in my world or quarantining. But there were people that, wait, wait, I need human interaction desperately. I need to be the popular one at the office. I need to be around people. I mean, we are a civilization needing human interaction. But, and that really depressed a lot of people, the anxiety, the unknown, the out of people's control, people who are controlling most of the time, this was something out of our control. And it's a very hard to let go when you're used to that. And, you know, for college kids and high school students, the statistical rate um, 135% of these kids have increased depression and um, anxiety since, I think, 2013. But when COVID started, it amplified it even more. So there's an epidemic in this country that's really, really bad. Yeah, definitely. I think many people with mental health issues uh, that didn't wouldn't call them mental health issues, I think we normalize a lot of negative coping and we find ways of you know surviving our traumas and you know, they're just all normative and relative to us, right? Until something mm -hmm. like the pandemic hits and then all of the coping skills that you have and all the things that you um, thought, you know, were keeping you propped up can't be done. Yeah. And yeah, those, those things of connection and intimacy and um, they get taken away the, at the bare minimum, right? We need human interaction and connection. And that doesn't matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, but I love, exactly. I did love the, the memes throughout it for my, my very introverted friends who were like, this is a dream that I don't have to deal with people oh, and talk to it, people. It was great. I mean, I was able to do what I was starting interviewing at that time and being interviewed. And I was able to just really my hair in the back look like a rat's nest, but in the front. And it was just so effortless than having, you know, I mean, I go, I get a lot of anxiety. I used to say vanity caused my insanity. When my family growing up did accept me, you had conditions. You had to be thin, put together, pretty. I was never loved and accepted for me. And I always had to battle my weight issues and that caused an eating disorder. So um, across the board, just, I'm sorry. I just, there's so much to um, families self-talk, self-good talk, negative talk, and it affects us just in every aspect. I was going somewhere with this, and I apologize if I rambled and no, you're lost good. direction. Hey, it's just a conversation. We can ramble along and, uh, and figure it out together. Absolutely. I mean, it's a lot to unpack, right? I mean, uh, your story is one of, of tons of trauma and tons of family history. And, you know, to tell your whole story when somebody asks you that in, you know, 10 minutes is very difficult when it's it is it's because it, there's so much i mean i cannot believe when i was 20 years old somebody was like you should write a movie so now when i was almost 50 i was i, I mean write a book i'm sorry maybe that was a freudian slip that's a good thing maybe it will be a movie because my story literally you have never heard it and i know people have just when you've heard it all People by chapter three, I tell you, I tell, I literally tell people, I will give you five, ten thousand dollars. You name your price. If you don't read my story and you're not grateful for where you are in your life and appreciate what you have, nobody's called me on that yet. So I guarantee that my story humbles people. You appreciate everything in your life and you know that you're where you're supposed to be on your journey through all the bad. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. People need to check your book out and, and hear about that in detail because it's, uh, Sounds like quite the journey. Can you tell me, um, as you kind of found healing, what were labels and diagnoses helpful or hurtful or a little bit of both? What what made that beneficial or not? 
do you know what? It was a little bit of both because it couldn't change anything, but it was that, oh, that's why I'm disorganized. That's why I don't want to leave. That's why I don't talk to people. That's why I cancel plans at the last minute. So it answered all of the questions I always had, why I was so scattered or made fun of. So it was like, okay, I can't do anything about it, but now I have an understanding and now I can, and you know, it's very manageable once I'm, once I was aware of it and understand. And I, and that's what keeps me present. If, for example, if I'm about to do this interview, for example, and I'm starting to get a little bit shaky and sweating because I don't know what's going to happen. It's that feeling of the unknown. And so my anxiety acts up all the time and we all have it. But it's these triggers that we have is something that's also some we all need to talk about. We all have our triggers. And when they don't go recognized that's when a lot of stuff happens internally and then externally. So putting the name to it was good. I was able to understand why I was such a mess. Yeah. I mean, when we, you know, I'm a veteran and so there were probably four or five years where, um, you know, I had PTSD, but I wouldn't have called it that. And, um, you know, you, uh, the label can be shaming. And I've heard this from tons of people and clients, you know, it's like, Oh, that, that, you know, if you label me, then that says that's who I am. And, and that's not really the point of labels. The point of the label is to help you understand what you're fighting. And so, exactly, you know, exactly. but sometimes, unfortunately with psychiatrists and doctors, sometimes they do label you as something and say, Oh, you're bipolar instead of you're fighting bipolar or exactly, you know, exactly. You, you have a mental illness instead of saying, well, you know what, you, you actually, your body and your brain is responding exactly how it should to the terrible things you went through in life. Mm-hmm. And so for so many of us, I think that struggle with mental health issues, which I think is almost everybody on some spectrum, um, yes. you know, the biggest thing is, is not letting that be your identity and, and having clinicians and people and, and pastors and whoever you look to, to help you find what is your identity in spite of, you know, having these struggles. So I think, um, your story tells a lot of that, that same thing. Oh, completely. It's like, I'm not, you know, it's just true. I, I, Marnie and I, you know, I live and manage ADHD, but I'm not, you know, an ADHD or I'm not an, you know, ADD or something like that. I don't know. I was, I was trying, there was somebody that used some very similar to that analogy and we all, you know, living with my mental health conditions, it's, it's manageable for me because I'm so present and I am, I know when something's happening, why am I getting, you know, um, feeling sweating? Why am I feeling suffocated? Why? And I pause, okay, let me remove myself. And the pause before my reaction for me has, was game changer because that react, right. That reaction will, infest my body of anger that I don't need. So it's worth walking away because I don't have to be right. I don't have to argue with, with, it's like arguing with a beating a dead horse most of the time and it's just not worth it. So pausing before everything has changed a lot and helped me. That was a huge shift, the reaction and not reacting. Yeah. When you can, when you can connect, you know, bipolar or ADHD or anxiety or whatever it is that is the label, to your actual body's responses to your trauma, then you start to pick up on that, you know, that it's the same pattern every time. Um, I was kind of joking yesterday. I, I did a talk for a group of pastors and, you know, I was sweating and my hands were clammy and, right. you know, and so I just said that from the, you know, I just say that from the pulpit, like, Hey, listen, you know, I'm having a reaction. I want you to like me. I want what I'm saying to be good. This is all part of trauma. And the more we're aware of it as teachers mm-hmm. and leaders and people, the more we can, you know, down regulate and calm ourselves down and, 
And I think so many of us try to paint that picture as a coping mechanism of I've got this. If I'm, mm-hmm. ner- if I'm nervous, I'm wrong. It's like, no, you're coming onto a podcast or you're doing a talk. Even if you're super confident and extroverted, you're, there's still going to okay. be some nerves. Yeah. So I would say to like, whether it was my daughter or whomever, I'd be like, what's wrong? Or they'd say, I'm fine. I'm like, no, it's okay that you're aggravated. You could say, mom, I'm not in a good mood right now. I had a bad day at school. You don't have to pretend. And I also preach within my family at work is communicating, communicating boundaries and communicating. Like if I had a tough day, when I usually you'd come home, you're like, why are the dishes not done? Now I tell them. Don't take my mood personally. It's not you. I just had a very bad phone call. So if I'm, you know, this loud or this kind of passionate, just don't take it personally. And every time that I would talk, because I have such a black or white personality, my kids would take it personally. Like I was yelling at them. I was like, no, I was just in a bad mood because of this or that. So now it's a joke within my kids, like joke or not, but I'll be like, okay, I'm having too much stimulation. It's a trigger. Like all they hear are my triggers because I live so much in the moment. I'm like, this is a trigger. That song's a trigger. The smell is a trigger. This place is a trigger. But being aware of it helps me tremendously. Absolutely. And I think the more that we're honest about and can kind of extrapolate out where that comes from to our family, to our friends, to our kids, um, there's a lot of shame reduction because they start to depersonalize it and then they can actually be more patient. The reason people have a hard time being patient with us and our triggers is when they're taking it personally. And so when there hasn't been good communication now, no matter what, right. Dealing with a person, dealing with someone who's triggered and upset and frustrated, you know, it's hard. It's, you know, that's relationships are hard. Being there for people is difficult, but so was a childhood full of trauma. Yes, and but so, understanding, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I just know it, it never has anything to do with us. So when somebody's rude to me, I know this person didn't wake up rude. There has to be something going on with their life. And it's easier said than done, not taking things personal. But I understand where it comes from, but it doesn't mean I need to be around it. Yeah, so I yeah can be it's like, good. Oh, That's good. Right? Like, I understand why you're an angry, you know, gossipy, down, Debbie Downer person, but I respect myself a little bit my boundary so i'm not going to hang around you but that's okay i'm saying that to myself not to the person because it's, you know i don't have to argue with this person i don't hate anybody i understand that they are going through their journey not so great right now their energy is not so happy and i can only surround myself with you know i'm not talking if someone's in you know a friend comes to you say i can't talk to you but yeah. you have those you i hear know. what you're saying yeah it's that's great marnie that's a it's a great point is that it is a balance that boundaries you know they change based on the person and the depth of the relationship and they also change based on where you're at right now and and sometimes even with those we love the most we want to be in a space where we sacrifice and serve them but sometimes we need to be served. And so it's about all of those exactly. are, you know, you can't give a blanket statement to, well, you, here's what a boundary is with everybody. And so, exactly. yeah, there are people in your life, you know, your, your lives. I tell people all the time, you know, you're, if you're somebody who's out there serving and helping and, you know, and you've got to be filled back up. And so you can't be spending mm-hmm. time around people who are, you know, negative, Draining. like, yeah, especially if they're the people that are your primary supports, you know, if you're, exactly. if, if you're out trying to serve people that are draining, then that's great. You know, you can, you go, you kind of look at it and go, listen, it's not reciprocal, right? It's that we're, this is not a relationship and there's give and take, you know, if you're out, you know, helping in a ministry or helping with the homeless or helping with mm-hmm. a, a person that you're mentoring, 
you're not expecting them to listen to all your problems and, and reciprocate. But if it's your best exactly. friend, right? Like, yep. that's somebody that you have to go, well, is this a reciprocal relationship or is this one that, um, that is just going to continue to drag me down? And there's a it, big difference. Little ones. Yeah, go ahead. No, I said it's very one-sided and when you start to recognize that, you know, it's um, and realizing these people are just there to drain you and that is it. And not, you know, you're there to always call when they want to complain. And I don't want to hear that. I don't right. want to hear that constant negativity always. But when you, when you can make that choice to be happy, again, not everything's situational and I'm not talking just Debbie Downers. Like if you say I won the lottery, well, you got to pay taxes. You know, there's somebody always finding the negative with something. And those are the worst people to be around. Absolutely. There's a big difference between a friend who's lost a baby and they're having a really tough three months of depression, anxiety, and you're around them and they're not giving anything to you. Well, that's a service oriented time for a season. But if it's a parent or a cousin or a friend or a coworker who, you know, there's no reciprocation and never has been, then it's okay for you to set that boundary and say, you know what, I'm going to love this person from a distance, but I'm not going to continue yes. to engage with them when all they do is critique me or all they do is shame me or all they do is yep. trigger me because they remind me of X, Y, Z. Yep. A hundred percent. It's okay for us to step away from those things. But I think that's the, that's the stuff that I love talking about is because nobody ever really teaches us how to do that. And so if we're not in community and, you know, we error and, and screw that up pretty good. So it, it's true. You know, um, people pleasing also was the one thing because I grew up wanting to be loved and accepted my entire life. And then once I stopped people pleasing and realized that aha moment again, why am I more concerned how you feel rather than me, you know, how I feel? I don't want to go to this party tonight. I don't have to because it's my neighbor. So how I feel being home and not going is much better than how somebody else feels. And I started to learn that no is, is an answer, but it doesn't have to be rude. You don't have to be rude by saying, I can't make it. I'm not able to attend. Most of us think we get invited. We have to go. We have to do this. We have to. And I don't have to do anything that doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. And that because then I resented it. I resented doing things I didn't want to do to make someone else happy. I wasn't making myself happy and staying true to myself, which is the name of my book. <laughs> yeah. And you, you talked about this um, and I was going to ask you this. So I'll just skip to it. But you talked about this with authenticity and we've talked about this on the podcast before. But, you know, being an authentic person is saying, Hey, I, I love you and I care about you, but I just don't want to go to the movies with you tonight. And yep. then letting the other person determine how they're going to feel about that, what they're going to ask for, you know, and it's that navigation of relationships that's so hard, but so many of us because of our trauma tend to live mm -hmm. in authentic lives where we're passive aggressive or aggressive in our communication. So we'll either go to the movie and go, oh, well, I don't want them to feel bad and I don't want them to think mm -hmm. I don't love them. So I'll go. And then halfway through the movie, we're like, you know, miserable. And then after the movie, they're like, what's wrong? And it's like, well, I don't want to come to this anyway. And then it's a big fight. And it's like, well, if you would have just told me that up front, I wouldn't ask you. And it's like, well, no, you know, and that's just this mess. It's a cycle. You know, that <laughs> yeah. actually something very similar happened to that with me this summer. I was going to go somewhere. I wanted to go away by myself, you know, for business and to do things. And my daughter, who's 22, she goes, oh, no, 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 I'm going with you. And I knew when, if she comes now, that means double the price, double the, you know, whatever I was going to get. But because she's not medicated right now, you know, I know she has, she is a lot of symptoms 
that make her personality very extreme, very black or white. So I did not tell her no. So right there, I wasn't staying true to myself and I was people pleasing my daughter. And it ended up when we got to our destination, she was rude and I'm, and I love her, but she didn't help me, you know, with business things I asked. And I'm like thinking, I didn't want you here to begin with. And I ended up being <laughs> so sad, I left early. So she ended up staying there for a week. And so I ended up resenting her. I paid more money by if I would have been, I mean, I can't have regrets. It was supposed to happen. But I, looking back, if I would have said, no, I'm sorry, this is for me, I would have been a lot happier. But this was supposed to happen. But I noticed, even though you're my daughter, and even though these things are happening, I don't want to be in your presence right now. The way you're talking and complaining, it's not good for me. And I remove myself. And then how people react, that's not my problem. You yeah. know, and that's what I always was afraid of is how, like telling someone you don't want to go to the movies with them. We don't want to upset them or they may get up, you know, angry. So that is what I was worried about, how she would react. But I learned after this month, it doesn't matter anymore. It was an expensive lesson. But now I know how imperative it is not to people, please. Yeah. And unfortunately, we we usually only learn through the first time we made those mistakes. Right. And so part that's such a great analogy and, uh, you know, or story about people pleasing, because mm-hmm. what we end up doing is being mad at the person when we didn't set the boundary. Yeah. It's ourselves we're really mad <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah. Not them. They just happen to be there. Yeah. It's like. I'm, I'm, Cause when we're on the other side of it, like when we're begging to go somewhere, cause we're mentally in a bad place and we're just kind of like, Hey, I just got to get out of here. Can I go with you? If the person says no, you know, it's, mm-hmm. if we're unreasonable, then we freak out and go, how dare you not compromise your vacation for me? <laughs> like, who's, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, who says exactly. that? <laughs> like right? but the reality is we live with people and we've grown up with people who are unreasonable and who, who have yes. set higher expectations that are, that are okay. And who have parents who have, you know, put that on you as a child. And so that's, that's the core root of that people pleasing is it's not just that we think a certain way negatively. It's that we've experienced a certain way negatively. And and until we, until we start to set healthy boundaries and have healthy relationships, we don't realize how good it can be. Exactly. I, I mean, I, the amount of energy that I have expelled wasting on thinking people were mind readers and you should have done this, you know, well, no, you didn't communicate it to me. I didn't know that you want write a white flower every day or whatever it may be. Um, but it's also, it's so contagious and toxic people, people's negative energy that we feel we have to be around it. And then people don't realize they're, they're being a masochist without even realizing it. And I, I think of life as like an emotional debit card. Like my debit card only has so much emotions I could use each day. You can't waste it on people that are irrational, that are going to bring you down, shame you, not listen to you, on and on. So that's where I learned. I need to keep my emotional debit card with a positive balance and not negative. Absolutely. And when we talk about boundaries like this sometimes, I think there's one side of the coin, you know, or one side of the team that people are like, well, that's really selfish. You know, like you shouldn't, you should care about other people and you should. And it's like, that's not what you're saying. And that's not what the point is. Right. It's that you have to value yourself as much as the other person. It's not that it's not that you always have to put yourself first. It's that you, you have to look internally and be real and authentic with what am I capable of doing? And is this going to be best for me and them in the relationship in the long run? And sometimes saying no is better for the person. 
Look at um, whether it's Simone right before she was going to do the Olympics. She was like, I can't do this. This is not good for my mental health. Um, you have Justin Bieber who just canceled his tour to take care of his mental health, for example. So people are now making decisions to really do what's good for them. And it's starting that change. And I think, man, that was so brave of her. You know, right before she's about to perform, she's like, nope, I can't do it. It's going to bring triggers for me. And I was like, wow, she could say that. Then I could tell somebody I'm not able to make, you know, an appointment or don't feel I have to do every single thing. And, you know, it's again, I did an episode once, I'm sorry, called Boundaries Don't Make You a, you know, B-I-T, whatever, because they don't. You could say things in such a healthy you know, um, non-confrontational way, like you said, and it's game changer for people. It's like such a happy, peaceful way to live. Absolutely. And I think, again, I think that's why community and having multiple people in your life that you can do this with, and, you know, you'll, you'll see the pattern because, you know, the Simone Bell's thing for, for example, you know, if she had quit every, you know, if she had trained and trained and trained and said, I can't do it. And then trained and trained and trained and said, I can't do it. And, and there was a pattern of unhealth then, you know, maybe people would go, hey, listen, you know, you're not somebody that we trust enough to come and do this and like fulfill your obligation. Because that was, you know, that was a lot of people's pushback was, well, she bailed on the team. She bailed on everybody else. That was selfish. She bailed on America. And it's like, yeah, if there's a pattern there, we can have that discussion. But none of us right. really know what's going on with someone on a one off situation. And so, not at all. you know, again, same thing with your daughter, same thing with friends, same thing with, you know, one time of saying, no, you're not going to go on vacation with me. This one time is not unhealthy. Now, if every time Correct. your daughter, even when she's in a great mood, you say, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to be around you. Then that starts to be a problem. And right. So exactly. We have exactly. to look at the patterns and that's why community and, and friends and church and whatever else you use is yep. so important is that you have to have that. If to do all of this, well, you have to have, you have to be willing to ask people around you, Hey, Am I being ridiculous? Is this boundary unreasonable? You know, that's where therapy mm -hmm. comes in too. It's like, I need you to tell me just this morning. Somebody was like, I need you to tell me is what I'm expecting too much. And I was like, absolutely not. You're, you're expecting breadcrumbs, you know, right. and, and the person feels like it's a, you're expecting a full course meal, but you're not, you know, from the outside looking in what you're expecting is so small. And, and when we get in our own heads without accountability, without support, we literally don't know how to trust ourselves sometimes. Yep. Oh, that's so true. So true. You know, we're made to be in community. We're made to be in relationship. We can't just be in the closet, you know, praying and thinking we're going to do it all well, because that's not how it works. We're, we're going to miss it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it, it's people, so many people are going through things and we all can put on a great exterior and even the happy, I mean, I hear of these suicides that are happening now at horrible stat a statistic that should not even be up there. And these people that look on the outside, like they're the most fabulous, they don't have a care in the world and the amount of suffering. It's for me, when Kate Spade died of suicide, that's when I went to my doctor and I realized if Kate Spade was that unhappy, then what I'm going through and hearing she wasn't alone, I wasn't alone from Kate Spade. I talk about what I, you know, what I go through so somebody else doesn't feel they're alone and have just a little bit more compassion in this world because somebody could be so fragile and takes one, some, one thing to put someone over the edge. It takes just one thing to make someone smile 
or it could take one thing to put him over the edge. So I just beg people just to be so careful and just kind. Don't go out of your way to hurt. There's no reason. Fix yourselves. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, I see in my practice and in the work that we do, just a little bit of good outweighs a lot of bad. You know, sure and you know this. I mean, in your your story is the same. You have years and years and years of detailed trauma and abuse and neglect, and and yet, you know, five years of recovery might seem like a long time to somebody, but in in the scheme of things, right? It, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a miracle. You know, it's where it's, I I shouldn't be alive. Right. I should not be alive right. by the grace of God. I was meant to be here. I was meant to, it was like, I feel God was like, you know what, you, you take one for the team. You need to go through all of this because one day everyone's going to need your story. And I believe I was chosen and that became my purpose. I couldn't have gone, I didn't go through all that just to go through all that. It was meant for me to share. And the way I tell my story, it's, it, I engage people that I'm grateful they're listening and they take something from me and I could save one life, save one person's insides, make one person smile. I try to make somebody laugh every day. It's working. Definitely. It works. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I try to work with people on, and you can take this or leave this, but it's it's trying to kind of look at it from a um, from a God perspective is that he doesn't necessarily cause the bad things, but he's going to use them for good. And so, yep. you know, he allows the world to be broken and there's there's pain and there's suffering. You know, he could he could fix that today, snap his fingers, but that would be forcing us all into things that we might not want. You know, we, that's right. When it has to do with other people, we're like, God, I think you need to make them nice, or I think you need to make them not do any trauma, but let me keep living my life freely and, uh, and do my own thing. Cause I have great intentions. And, uh, a lot of times I know in my own story, you know, as a veteran, people ask me, you know, would you, would you do that again? And I'm like, heck no, I wouldn't sign up again. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody signing up for it. However, I would never want to change that because I I am today who I am based on that trauma. Now, moving forward in my children's lives and in my friends' lives, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent them from having that to be their story. Yes. So it's like this kind of two truths can happen at the same time. One is I'm glad it happened because it made me who I am. But no, I wouldn't do it again, and I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else. Not at all. And that's why, you know, that's why I tell people I live with not one regret because every story, every situation molded me into who I am today. And I have taught, as much as I just talked about my daughter, she's one of the kindest, most compassionate, most loving person, grateful because I've, I've instilled that since she was born. So she doesn't know but to be kind to people. So what I took from all my bad and I took the goodness out of it and I passed it on to her and she spreads it and sprinkles it. So that's why I don't know what I would be like if all those things didn't happen, but I love who I am today. So I wouldn't change it for anything. That's awesome. That's good to hear. That's very, that's very rare. And and I hope that through your message and through our podcast and our work with people is that they, they do start to love themselves more and realize that, Hey, even at their worst, there's a God that loves them unconditionally and sees them as worthy and valuable and, and secure and that, you know, he's working these things for good, even though they're bad and even though they're hard and even though they're miserable in the middle of it, um, that they're not for nothing and they're not meaningless and not pointless. And we won't, you know, see that until the other side. But I think you giving your, your story and telling your testimony and people continuing to do that in their own lives gives everybody else hope. 
because they can see someone and go, oh my goodness, Marnie went through all of that and she's still positive and she's still encouraging. But at the same time, it's not fake. You're, you're authentic in the sense that you can, you can acknowledge that, Hey, I need to work here. Hey, I have these anxieties still. Hey, you know, the old is gone and the new has come, but man, there's some old stuff still hanging around that I got to tend to as I move forward. Uh Oh, I'm a Fruit Loop in a world of Cheerios. I mean, I <laughs> I love it. I own it, and I tell people it's not rejection; it's redirection, right? Right? One. Fruit Loop in a world of Cheerios. But when people think they're going through all these stumbling blocks, when you look back, like I do, it's like it's not rejection; it was redirection. It was just like Pac-Man. I tell people it's like eating those little pellets. You you know you see the little the wall, you go the other way, and then the, the thing eats you. And the, but you keep going. You don't just end the game. So you just mind your life eating your little Pac-Man pellets, and just if there's a block, you go the other way, and just keep going. That's so good. Yeah, we um, uh, we we were talking about this me and my wife a couple nights ago. Just you know, in in the practice, there there have probably been five to six major things that have happened. You know just as a business owner and a leader that, it, right. that in the moment I'm like, Oh, I don't like this. This is not my plan. And that have all worked out so much better than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. And, Always. um, but yeah, hindsight's 2020. That's why they say that. Right. It's like mm-hmm. what, uh, God is going to give you what you need, not what you want. Oh, that's exactly correct. And he laughs all the time. You know, when I make a plan, he's like up there laughing, like, okay, that's what you think is going to happen. You want it that way, but it's not, it's not going to, he, God laughs when we make plans all the time. That's why I live in the moment. I'm like, whatever happens, happens. If I catch the plane, okay. If it's late, it's late. I wasn't supposed to be there. I tell people, if you spill coffee on yourself, walking out the door, you're being protected five minutes for a reason. Instead of arguing about it. Okay. I wasn't supposed to leave right away. And it's easier said than done, but that way of living for me, it's just, I don't stress out anymore. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good perspective for sure. Um, What advice would you give people, you know, who are currently not in the happy space, but in that, in the dark, dark part where they're like trying to make it and they're just day to day. um, What would be some of the advice you give them? It's so hard because I have been there, but I think just reaching out, to one person, reaching out to that 988 hotline, reaching out to somebody was was wonderful for me. I think baby steps, don't set big goals. I didn't go outside for like forever, but I would go to the mailbox one day. I was like, wow, the sun shining. So I would do things with baby steps, find things deep in your core that makes you laugh because it is an instant vacation. It is that dopamine we need. Even through my depression, I would watch a comedy every day. I would watch the same shows over and over, but I had to laugh. It's and so good. Put, right? I preached everybody, laugh and move your body. If you can, just wiggle your arms a little bit. Put on your favorite song. Just, just one small thing daily. I, I, for me, I started writing one affirmation about myself a day, and it helped. I am worthy. I am loved. And so, but finding that laughter whether it's your favorite comedian, your favorite movie, we all have them. Put that on, listen to it, watch it, anything to make you laugh. I think that is was the best thing. And reaching out, don't suffer alone. Find somebody compassionate like 988 has now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's such an encouragement for somebody that's listening or that has somebody in their life that that is yes. you know incapacitated to, to realize that there are just seasons and times, especially when people have been through so much, that they, you know, getting up and taking a shower is a huge win for the day. Huge. My, I remember my ex-husband, when I was married, he'd say, when was the last time you took a shower? I'm like, 
four days ago. And he's like, don't you think that's gross? And it's like, dude, I can barely go get a drink of water. I live in a freeze mode, like a fight, flight, freeze mode. And I'm frozen. I can barely function. So when people, there's so much, there was a lot of shame and I hope there isn't as much, but I was shamed for that kind of thing. But you're right, it takes so much to just take a shower and that feels, but once you get up and do it, it's like a month at a spa. It feels so good if you can get that energy to do it. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah, and this, this goes back to what we were talking about a while back is that for those people who are married to someone struggling with like that or that's a sibling or coworker, you know, and you're trying to love on them and support them, you know, you've got to in your own life see that as a season of it's not going to be reciprocated. You know, it's not going to be a give and take. It's no longer a transactional relationship. You need to go get support outside of that relationship so you can keep pouring into that. And I think what hey. happens is, is that the spouse gets burnt out, the co you know, the, the family mm -hmm. gets burnt out because there's still a piece of them that's like, but I'm missing this from our relationship. And you are. That's really difficult. It's unimaginable what it's like to walk someone through, you know, recovering from a very difficult trauma or betrayal or addiction. Mm -hmm. But your worth and value as the helper, it, it can't be intrinsically tied into the person you're trying to help. And exactly. If exactly. they get healthier quicker or if they give you, you know, finally, like you got to then go get friends, go get, you know, a pastor, go, go do, you know, watch a comedy. You've got to go do these things so that you can continue to give, um, and, ha and have the hope that you need that this person's going to pull out of it eventually. Exactly. And, and another thing that really helps too, is that if I'm trying, if I'm just venting, most people are fixers, I get it. But I state from the very beginning, I'm not asking for advice. I'm just venting. Because if I'm, I'm, I don't feel good, maybe you should go do this, go do that. I'm not asking you to tell me what to do. I'm just letting you know I'm not feeling great. So once I communicated that, that was also another thing that was, it's important because people, you, when you're crying, you're sad, you don't want to hear, well, go do that. Maybe you should do this. I just want to be heard at that moment. I'm not asking, if I want advice, I'll ask for it. It doesn't have to be, I didn't mean for that to sound harsh, but I, I use that analogy with my kids and it seems to work. No, that doesn't sound harsh. I think that's great. I mean, I, if you want advice, you'll ask for it. However, yes. if you're on the other end, you know, it's one of the be best marriage advice I can give to anybody is, is this a, is this a listening conversation or is this a fix it conversation? So yes, both, exactly. both people have responsibility to ask for what they need or to see what the mm -hmm. other person needs. Um, but so many times we try to guess to be validated. And what I mean by that is as a spouse, you might go, oh, she's upset or he's upset. And so I'm going to fix it and I'm going to, and, and it's from a good intention. You're trying to attune to what their needs are, but when it's high stress, high trauma, high unhealth, because mm -hmm. you, you got to just be explicit in your communication. You can't be implicit. Completely. Yep. I mean, it's, it's a, a lot of people don't want to dig into their, you know, past traumas and triggers and don't want to go there and talk about it and they suppress. But I use this analogy. If you were to put a ball under the water and you keep putting it under the water, the minute you let go, it explodes. And that's what I and a lot of people have done. You keep putting your emotions and it's going to come out on the wrong person at the wrong time. And that is why taking care of our mind and a healthy mind is so imperative. 
connected our physical health mental health they are both as equally as important definitely definitely i loved how you said just get up and move you know like we talk about move and baby steps that was so encouraging and and so smart because it is true in the beginning whatever it is you know whether it's exercise or losing weight or getting to a place where you feel healthy in your body whatever that looks like um Mm-hmm. that you take baby steps and that you don't, I'm the worst when it comes to the gym. Like I just went to the gym this morning for the first time and did squats. And I was like, okay, I cannot try to do what I was doing six weeks ago or I won't be able to walk for the next four days. Right. But my mentality exactly. is, Oh, I, I want to get back to where I was. So I'll just do all of the things I was doing, you know, before I you know, got hurt or whatever. And man, I would regret it. And so I was, I had to pat myself on the back as I left. Cause I was like, I don't, I'm going to be able to walk tomorrow. And I did just enough, although it didn't feel like hardly anything. And, and, and that is that self-talk that we need to do. It's like, it is enough, you know, you yeah. know, your heart and you know, your effort and no matter what, that's going to be between you and God, because you, you're not going to be able to prove that to someone who doesn't want to see you in the best light. If they want to see you so in a true. negative light, you can paint them a, you know, a portrait, you can draw them a map, you can, you know, sing them a song, you can do whatever you want to. And they're still going to see you negatively because that's an internal issue on their part. That sure is. Absolutely. I mean, you could say, look at Disney World, how fun this is. Well, there's so many people. Like there's always going to be people that are miserable, no matter what you say or (laughs) how happy it is. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, what are, uh, what are last couple questions? Just what are some daily routines that you're doing now to kind of stay on top of your mental health issues? And, um, and what would you kind of tell some people are kind of the go-tos, um, throughout your day? Definitely for me, um, making my bed, the first thing I do when I wake up, I used to never do that, but it is this sense of accomplishment, making your bed for some reason, being on a routine of having any routine, no matter how many things you do, but waking up, making that bed, for me, I prioritize sleep. That's part of my self-care because the nights I used to be up all night and junk food. So sleep, that routine, waking up and opening up the drapes, bringing in light in your house. I lit, I close every, I know what it's like to live in the dark. When you open up the light, it does something. Mm-hmm. Again, dance, dance every morning. You're not, nobody's watching you dance in the shower, dance wherever you can. Even if you can't move, wiggle your arms and laugh. I have to laugh and do something every day. Um, if I don't laugh, I just, it's like, my, I need it. Like I'm from that movie Monsters, Inc. I think it's like I get fueled <laughs> by laughter. I'm like Sully. And um, so I think it's also a not to internalize stuff, you know, but I definitely going outside, even if you can't move, I am begging somebody that's listening. I get it. But just go outside for one minute and build that up. Going outside in nature and walking it saved me. Again, I went from a dark room to now bright lights and being able to enjoy the outside. But baby steps. For me, it was the mailbox, making my bed, um, taking that shower, those hard things. It's so hard. But once you do those little things, everything falls more into place. That's that awesome. makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I just want to yeah. I want to encourage you that um, you are making a difference that, you know, um, your story does matter and that, um, the people that you're connecting with and influencing and just your, your personality, your light that you bring to what you do is it, it makes a difference in people's lives. And I know that, you know, people are going to be encouraged by this episode and, and you gave, you know, gave some really practical tips and tools for people, um, that I think the world you know needs more of. So I just thank you for your time and I appreciate you. Um, oh, thank you, know, you and your, your patience. Oh, anytime I could, I love talking about this and 
I, again, it was, we were just saying that through all of that pain, I found my purpose. So we have to go through those things. We, we've all survived 100% of our worst days to bring us to where we are now. So I love sharing my message and I appreciate your patience um, with everything and for having me. And I could talk all day about this. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. And uh, where can people find you online? You can go to peacelovemarni.com. And on my website, I have different blogs, resources. Um, You can book 15 minute free consult with me if you want me to speak to you, not as a doctor, but I just am like this support, letting you feel peace where you are on your journey. And I'm there. And my book's on Amazon, True to Myself, Peace Love Marnie. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marnie. And I appreciate your time. Guys, thanks for listening and uh, tune in next week.